From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. There are different kinds of thinkers. Temple Grandin is adamant about that. And she says we must help kids understand what sorts of thinkers they are. One of the ways you figure that out is you give them access to all kinds of stuff. Math books, musical instruments, tools, art supplies. And see what sticks. Today, why understanding different kinds of minds is an issue of national importance. Grandin also reflects on sewing, Stonehenge, and the Big Bang Theory. Later, becoming a butterfly requires imaginal disks. And these are these disk-shaped bags of cells that hold within them the design of each part of you as a butterfly that will emerge. I'll step into a caterpillar costume, so can you, as part of a project to fight climate anxiety. Thank you to the hundreds of individuals and families that give gifts of over $10,000 to Colorado Public Radio. We're so grateful for your trust, partnership, and passion. CPR serves Colorado, and donor support is essential to that mission. You can join the leadership giving community with a transfer of stock, a distribution from an IRA, an individual leadership partner donation, or a gift from your donor advised fund. Learn more on the support page at CPR.org. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Ryan Warner. Our country is missing out on some of its best and most original thinkers, according to a famed Coloradan who counts herself among them. CSU animal scientist Temple Grandin's latest book for teens is Different Kinds of Minds. And Professor, welcome back. It's great to be here. You write about visual thinkers. The other term you use is picture thinkers, and you put yourself in that category. How do visual thinkers, well, think differently? Well, everything I think about is a picture. Like if I think about going to the grocery store, I'm seeing the aisles of the familiar grocery store and where the yogurt is and the fruit is, other things I buy all the time. Mm. I don't think about it in words. And I used to think everybody thought in pictures until I was in my late 30s. Being a picture thinker has helped me in my work with animals. Because back when I first started in the 70s, I looked at what cattle were seeing. And uh, things like shadows and reflections would stop them from going through the chutes. And and other people thought it was kind of weird I was doing that. But I didn't know at that time that they thought in words. Well, and it occurs to me then that so much in our society is built around the people who think in words and not in pictures. I mean, you write, my first language is pictures. My second language is words. That's absolutely right. And in uh, Different Kinds of Minds, also in the adult version of the book called Visual Thinking, uh, there's scientific research now that shows that there's three different kinds of specialized thinking. And the first is the object visualizer like me, who thinks completely in pictures. And we're going to be really good with animals, with mechanical things, art, and photography. Mm. Then you have visual spatial, which is a different type of visual thinking. This is a more mathematical. They think patterns, not pictures. Good at chemistry, computer programming, physics, music. This is what I think is interesting. Music and math go together, and art and mechanical stuff goes together. Mm -hmm. Then you have... Verbal thinkers, some that think almost entirely in words, mm. and most people are mixtures of the different kinds of thinking. I suppose if I had to pick myself, I would say 
I'm a verbal thinker because words are often what come up for me. Why is it important to reach readers in their teens with this message? I think it's really important. I'm very concerned the visual thinkers like me are getting screened out because I can't do abstract math. Oh, I wanted to go into aeronautics and space stuff, but Mm. I couldn't do the physics classes. And the thing I learned when I started working with the uh, metalworking shops on the equipment I've designed for the meat industry, I worked with people that had a high school education. They couldn't do algebra, but they were inventing all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of two parts of engineering that I discovered. And these are what I call the clever engineers. And they don't have college degrees because they can't do higher math. But boy, can they build things. And I'm very concerned they're not getting replaced. All the people I worked with have retired. Most of them have. And the kid that ought to be replacing those people can't graduate from high school today because they got all these math requirements. I'm not suggesting that they ought to get out of all math requirements, but why don't we substitute accounting or statistics or geometry or maybe just uh, practical math for businesses, you know, for the algebra class. Hmm. I hear their uh, desire to have applied learning, like give them the reason they're doing the math. I remember being desperate for that when I was in math class. Just show me where I can use this in the world. Well, I have no problem knowing a formula like pi times radius squared for sizing hydraulic cylinders and air cylinders on equipment. I have I can do that because I see the cylinder on the piece of equipment. You know, like I see a big excavator machine and I can see the... You can see them too. There's hydraulic cylinders on them. They're very obvious. And so I know how to calculate pressures on those cylinders because I'm relating it back to a real thing. Mm-hmm. A visual thing, something you can a see. A visual thing. I yeah. see it. And I'm seeing different equipment I worked on for cattle. I see it. I just want to clarify, while you have autism, not all visual thinkers have autism. That's true. Yeah. Absolutely true. No, there's object visualizers that are not autistic. I love how you describe yourself as a kid being like Sheldon Cooper, the brilliant but awkward scientist from the TV series The Big Bang Theory. How about we go rock, paper, scissors? I don't think so. Anecdotal evidence suggests that in a game of rock, paper, scissors, players familiar with each other will tie 75 to 80% of the time due to the limited number of outcomes. (laughs) I suggest rock, paper, scissors, lizard, Spock. (laughs) <laughs> what? <laughs> Why does his character resonate with you, Temple? Well, because he like he just is giving an objective, almost scientific answer to something that probably doesn't need a scientific answer. Mm. But let's look at something that a visual thinker can do, like this door that just fell off this aircraft. And oh, yes, um, the, the I saw a diagram for it in the Wall Street Journal just the other day, where a bolt showed a bolt that's put in it to hold it in. And uh, I'm pretty sure if you, they've got that panel. They found it. It was in some teacher's backyard in a tree. If the factory failed to put the bolt in, there should be a lack of marks from tightening it. That'd be one of the first things I'd look at. Hmm. Then that just came to my mind. I just saw it. How do you think parents can encourage different types of thinkers, even when they face an education system that might not be the most hospitable. Well, let's just start out figuring out what kind of thinker a kid is. And one of the ways you figure that out is you give them access to all kinds of stuff, math books, musical instruments, 
tools, art supplies, all kinds of stuff. Uh -huh. Visual thinkers are going to go for the art supplies and the Legos. And the math thinkers also like the Legos. And you take a kid that's a math head, the mistake that's made is they don't move them ahead into harder math books. And then the visual thinkers are also going to really like tools. But we've got some people today growing up that never uh, measure anything, never use tools. So you have to expose kids to lots of stuff to kind of see what they gravitate to. I tried musical instruments. I could never really figure out how to play them right. Mm -hmm. But another kid's going to take off with that. And I'm really concerned about the algebra requirements. We're screening out a lot of individuals that make very good veterinarians. I don't know any veterinarian that's using algebra and calculus. Hmm. And now I'm seeing down at the Spur Center where you can go to the glass window and watch them spay cats and dogs, which I've done quite a bit of that now lately. Ah, yes. The CSU Spur, this is Colorado State's presence in Denver, and it's an opportunity really for, well, a lot of city folks to get sort of up close and personal with animal and agricultural sciences. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I've um, watched them spay cats. And then there's one window where there's a camera that looked right down into it. And a very meticulous operation on a kitten one day I watched and I'm going, what does algebra have to do with this? Well, That's you... what I'm thinking about as I look in that window at them spaying. <laughs> You have invoked algebra several times. Just talk to me about why that is particularly it's too tricky. abstract. There's nothing to visualize. And also the algebra is all, all in the abstract. They're not presenting an algebraic formula for some specific thing that I could see. Mm -hmm. It's all in the abstract, so I can't even remember it. Now, there's other fields you're going to need to have algebra. If you're going to be a chemist, yes, you're going to need to take algebra. You want to do orbital mechanics? You're going to need all that mathematics. You must think a lot about what potential we lose as a country, as a society, if the ways that we measure people, the ways that we deem people successful or not, don't actually align with their gifts. Well, this is the problem. We're actually losing skills. Uh, right before COVID shut everything down, I went to two state-of-the-art pork plants, a state-of-the-art chicken plant, and the Steve Jobs Theater. And all of the equipment for the chickens and the pigs was imported from Europe. And the structural glass walls at the Steve Jobs Theater were from Italy and Germany. Well, this goes back to the de-emphasizing the skilled trades. Because in Europe, in ninth grade, you can go tech or you can go university. And they don't stick their nose up at tech. Mm. We also do not make the state-of-the-art electronic chip-making machine. Now, that machine is based on research done in the U.S., mathematical research, but the machine is built and made in Holland. Do you we think... We are losing skills. Yeah, the, the Steve Jobs Theater, by the way, is in Cupertino, California, obviously associated with Apple Park. But um, are there ways, do you think, that companies... We've talked a, lo a lot so far about education, about schools. Are there ways that companies can be better attuned to this when they're hiring? Well, a lot of companies, and I've talked to a lot of companies, I mean, I tell them the first step is you have to realize that different kinds of thinking exist. Mm -hmm. Myself, I didn't know that verbal thinking existed until I was in my 30s. Oh, wow. And I was shocked to find out there was different ways of thinking. Verbal thinkers tend to overgeneralize, get a lot of big, broad concepts, uh, but not very good on how do we actually implement them. You see, a visual thinker thinks in specific 
examples. Okay, let's talk about making a classroom just more inclusive. Okay. I mean, this would be for all subjects. Let's get bullying under control. Uh, the other thing is a lot of people on the autism spectrum don't remember long sequences of verbal information. So anything that involves sequence, I need to write it down in a pilot's checklist format. Like yesterday, my computer crashed. Mm -hmm. Oh, I called the computer doctors. They saved me. And I now have a checklist that has five things for me to do if my computer crashes again, because I'm not good at remembering order. You see, that's something you could do. And the other thing is LED lights that flicker. Oh. There are some individuals that can see flicker on certain types of LED lights. So please, when you build new construction, take your phone out, take some pictures in slow motion video. You'll find the bad lights. Please don't put those in the new classrooms. Oh, wow. So that's three specific things I could do in just any classroom for any subject that would uh, make it a lot easier for some of the people who think differently. It's fascinating to me that you clearly struggled in traditional classrooms, and then you became an educator, Temple Grandin. How do you think your own experience as a young person informs how you interact with students? Well, one thing, I have a lot of pictures of my teacher class in livestock handling, and I've got lots and lots of picture slides. And on my cattle handling, one of the things I learned was how to write up stuff, just how to do it. There's a lot of people that are super good at handling cattle, but they don't write up how to do it. Hmm. But as I write the instructions, I'm seeing the cattle moving. So the instructions, when I write them up, I'm narrating pictures in my mind. Well, and I suppose that helps all sorts of learners at that point. Um, well, it does. Yeah, yeah, giving words to the pictures. Is it a struggle? I mean, you've written so many books, Temple Grandin. Is it a struggle as a visual thinker to write books? Well, I have to admit that a lot of my books do have co-writers. Mm -hmm. That's to help me on the organization. Now, my textbooks, I have a textbook, Livestock Handling and Transport. I have another textbook, Improving Animal Welfare, Practical Approach. There's no co-authors there. But on a lot of the other books, um, I write rough drafts. And then, like Betsy on my adult version you know, smooth them all out yeah. because a object visualizer is associative and you can jump from thing to thing. Yeah, I've gotten that, that impression from talking to you over the years. I love how you make connections, but they're not necessarily connections I'm expecting you to make, you know? But they're connections that when we look at them, they have a logic. Mm -hmm. There's a logic to those connections. Maybe the best way to for me to explain how that works is Pretend I'm Google for images okay. and give me a keyword, not for something common like house, car, computer. Let's think of some creative keyword and I'll tell you how my mind accesses it. All right. How about um, Stonehenge? Stonehenge? Okay. I see the Stonehenge in in the UK and I've driven by it. Mm -hmm. Haven't been there. Um, now I'm seeing some archaeological dig sites. Now I'm seeing the pyramids of Egypt. And when I was in fourth grade, archaeology was super interesting. Now I've gotten into an archaeology-like stream. But when I went to the UK, I went there to look at farms. So now I'm seeing <laughs> on farms that I saw this summer, very nice grazing operations. I'm seeing them. I'm seeing a beautiful old house that was on one of the farms. So when I 
get into Stonehenge, I can kind of go down an archaeology pathway, or I could go a cattle pasture pathway. Okay, hopefully that explains it. It does. No, it absolutely does. I, I want to go back to this notion of lessons being applied, some connection to the doing, to the to the real well, world. One of the things that's been a mistake is schools taking out so many of the hands-on classes. My favorite classes in grade school were art, sewing, and woodworking. I had a toy sewing machine in fourth grade actually sewed, and I sewed costumes for the school play with it. <laughs> it was one of my favorite things. It must make you believe strongly in work experience, in apprenticeships too, huh? Yes. No, it was right now that we people that I worked with are retiring out. I did a, um, I've done Zoom calls with a lot of different businesses, and there's a real shortage of mechanics. I've been on some very questionable elevators recently. <laughs> one that I was afraid I was going to get stuck in. God. At the Denver Airport parking garage, and uh, nobody's servicing them. You go in a fancy hotel like the Hyatt, and there's a sticker on the elevator certificate that the inspection has got a, a delay for six months. Oh boy, you've now introduced the idea that I might start looking at elevator inspections. Okay. I'll look well, that. yeah, I never noticed the sticker on it. I noticed those kind of things. It had a deferred late inspection. And I've been on elevators that I know haven't been serviced. The one that made horrible shrieking sounds in a one of those like mid-priced hotels. Before we go, can you maybe conjure up for me an interaction you had with a kid or a parent in which a conversation about different types of thinking helped a family realize that their kid wasn't broken, that their kid wasn't unstrange or unsuccessful, but just was a different kind of mind. Well, one of the, the first thing, a lot of parents underestimate their kids I'm seeing 16-year-olds that might be doing well in school, and they've never gone shopping. They've never ordered food in a restaurant. They haven't learned bank account. They're not learning life skills. And I have parents ask me, well, how do I find out what kind of a thinker the kid is? And the first thing I ask, what's he good at in school? What is she good at in school? Mm -hmm. The mathematician kids will head to the math, but they're going to turn into a behavior problem if you make them do the boring baby stuff. They need to be moved ahead. When I was a little kid, I went to, for the art supplies, and that was the stuff that I liked to do. Another kid would go for the musical instruments. They've got to be exposed to find out what they might gravitate towards. Yeah, I love that point you made earlier. Kind of throw pasta at the wall, right? Everything, the arts, sciences, um, history. Et See what sticks and let that be your guide to some extent. No, that's uh, absolutely right, because how can you learn things if you're not exposed. Now, I've in uh, in the Different Kinds of Minds book, I'm one of the people I profiled was Michelangelo, 12-year-old yes. school dropout, but he was running around all these churches looking at great art that was being commissioned, and he had learned stone cutting. You see, that's the exposure. <laughs> and then later on, he was mentored. He was apprenticed. Well, that seems like the perfect bit of art to end on. Thank you so much, Temple Grandin. Well, it was great to talk to you, and I hope I gave some insight into the different kinds of thinking. Professor Temple Grandin of Colorado State University. Her book for teens is Different Kinds of Minds, A Guide to Your Brain. 
Now, you heard Grandin mention hands-on classes and apprenticeships. Indeed, high school students increasingly ask to learn in settings other than their desks. The Stead School is a science-based facility on farmland bordering Commerce City. CPR education reporter Jenny Brundine tagged along with students. Right now, we're just trying to figure out where to go. Yeah. It's like very confusing. Today, school for ninth graders, Sophia and Elle, means lots of cows, goats, and sheep around. The two wander Denver's massive stock show on their own. No teacher telling them what to do. They're building up the courage to interview people for a project. I ran into another group. They say they're having fun, but they look a little uh, overwhelmed. It's been two hours, and Emmy says they haven't interviewed anybody. The interviews bit is just a little bit more anxiety-inducing. It's hard to find somebody who will give you the correct information. Especially when you're kind of shy. The big question they want to answer, says Paige. To what extent are animals and humans in a symbiotic and interdependent relationship? But theirs is even more specific. Looking at this question from an indigenous worldview, they ask their question in soft voices. Has, like, background on that? What was it? In- indigenous worldview. Okay. Um, and aren't getting anywhere. Plus you can pick up brochures on potatoes and potato recipes and corn. And Each group in the school has a distinct topic, from animal laws and regulations and human and animal welfare to studying different types of meat processing or animals as seen through different cultures. Students are making podcasts and photo essays after talking to agriculture scientists or going to local farms like this one. This creek is called Dry Creek. The kids pull out their iPhones to interview Andre Husni, who owns Jacob Springs Farm near Boulder. How do you think the agricultural system can make um, more organic products available to low-income communities? I mean, I'm not really putting a lot of hope on the agricultural system, but I think I have a lot of hope for us. We have to kind of do it ourselves. He's an organic farmer. The students ask him how his Lebanese culture influences how and what he farms. I have a real attachment to the dairy just because it gets me a chance to make these flavors that remind me of my childhood and my grandma. He grows grains and beans that few here do. Are you an Arab? We are. Oh, from where? My grandpa is from uh, Jordan. Azadeh's brother Xavier is excited to learn more about farming from Husni's perspective. Andre, he's, he's very, very noble and he's not afraid to be himself. And to see that in him from his small beginnings being born in a hospital in war, it's very inspiring to be able to see his farm. As the kids wander in the frigid cold among his dairy cows, he talks about the ups and downs of being organic, something different from Rayana's grandfather, a farmer in Kansas. My grandpa does pasteurize, and it just shows how there's different ways that people go about things. Meeting with Husni, who sells raw milk, allowed Rayana to compare and contrast. No chemicals, no herbicides, no pesticides, things like that. But there's less yield and more weeds, like he was saying. It just all depends on point of view and how you view things. Back at the stock show. Information desk, here we come. Woo! <laughs> Finally, one of the groups locates a CSU graduate student, not indigenous, but who can at least talk about how animals and humans are interdependent. And another group, Sophia and Elle, have decided to ask about people's relationship right, to so their work. What hardships have you experienced? Or like if you experience any? The biggest thing, we deal with is drought, 
Not having enough hay. They interview goat pasture. farmers and dairy farmers and cowboy hat makers. So they hear stories about patience and hard work, of love of land and passing the work on to sons and daughters, or how if there's a choice between groceries and feed for the animals, feed wins. Here's Elle. Because they talk about how taking care of these animals has helped them become more independent and more like hardworking and how it's like helps them become better as a person. Having secured one solid interview, Paige's group is relieved. They're smiling. They look more confident. It's actually kind of fun, like trying to figure out how to answer a question on your own and them kind of just like shoving you into it with a little direction. Not too little direction so that you don't have a way to go, but direction. It's a powerful way to learn and something they'll probably remember a lot more than just reading from a book. Jenny Brendine, CPR News. And Colorado Matters continues in just a bit with a metamorphosis that you can experience just as I did. I'm Ryan Warner. You're with CPR News and KRCC. The political blame games and bickering can be exhausting. But if you tune out, you can miss hearing about the powerful ways our elected representatives can shape our lives. I'm CPR Washington reporter Caitlin Kim. My job is to make sure you know about the important things Colorado's members of Congress do, the policies they advocate, the ones they oppose, and what it all means for you. Follow all our government reporting at CPR.org. Colorado's transition away from plastic bags enters a new phase this year. CPR's Mike Lamp and Paolo Chalceda discuss what to expect the next time you go to the store. Paolo, this bill banning plastic bags passed in 2021. How about a rundown of the law's language? Sure. So the bill states that starting in 2024, large businesses in Colorado are prohibited from providing single-use plastic carryout bags. That applies to major retailers like Target and Walmart, supermarkets like King Supers and Safeway, and chain restaurants. Lawmakers set 2023 as a transition year. During that time, businesses were permitted to provide plastic bags to customers, but they still had to charge $0.10 per bag. With plastic bags now fully banned, Businesses can still offer paper bags, but those come with a 10 cent fee as well. Well, plastic bags are fully banned, but uh, I saw at the grocery store just the other day that there are still plastic bags. So what's with that? Yeah, so while the ban has already taken effect, the law leaves some room for businesses to give out the stock they already have. So plastic bags that companies purchase before the new year can be sold up until June 1st. And if you shop at small independent stores, it may seem like nothing has changed. Lawmakers included a carve-out for small businesses that only operate in Colorado and have fewer than three locations. They are still allowed to provide plastic bags, but they do have to charge that 10-cent fee per bag. People have been paying 10 cents per bag for about a year now. And what happens to that money that they're collecting going forward? Under the new law, 60% of the total fees collected must be remitted to the city or municipality the business is located in. Denver passed its own ordinance in 2021 to introduce a bag fee earlier than the rest of the state, and that's earned the city about $5 million. Here's Blake Adams, who manages the city's zero waste and circular economy program. So we have a little bit of a war chest, if you will, that we can tap into. We can hire more staff. We can bring on additional support from a third-party vendor. But most of that money will be spent towards education and outreach and just building awareness throughout the city. The remaining 40% is kept by businesses who can use the money for whatever they need. Adam said businesses he's spoken with often use it to offset costs. 
So $5 million in Denver, but smaller cities probably won't collect that much. Exactly. Grand Junction only collected about $174,000 last year. City officials there have told me they actually expect remittance fees to go down year after year as residents get used to the ban and start to bring reusable bags from home. That makes sense. Now, what about enforcement? These are a lot of individual businesses who's making sure that they all comply with the new law. So the law leaves enforcement of the ban up to local governments. It doesn't say exactly how governments should enforce it. Denver's approach seems to be the most robust right now. The city has been actively collecting and enforcing the bag fee since it introduced it early in 2021. They've done that mainly through outreach, but in rare cases, the city has the ability to issue citations or warnings to businesses that fail to remit their fees. Now, as it prepares for large stores to permanently get rid of plastic bags, Adams told me they're going to send staff to do in-person visits at major retailers to check whether they're still stocking plastic bags later this year. Other cities are taking a more passive approach. Here's Tamara Allen, Community Development Director for Grand Junction. We actually seeing good compliance to the law, but we are certainly not doing any audits per se or sending teams out to secret shops. And like I said, because the language of the law doesn't specify how government should enforce the state law, that's well within Grand Junction's rights. Well, Paolo, thanks a lot. No problem. CPR's Paolo Chalcida and Mike Lamb on the statewide plastic bag ban. The biggest room in our CPR news offices is a conference room. And right now... It doesn't look much like a conference room. There is a giant facsimile of a leaf on the floor. There is a hammock. It's green, almost looks like something, I don't know, a caterpillar would snuggle into. And most notably, our guest is dressed in a green Jumpsuit, Beth? Is that what you'd call this? Maybe morph suit? Morph suit? Full body suit? Okay, why have we transformed our news conference room into something that looks a bit like a rainforest cafe? We are inviting you to go through the butterfly affect. This is an immersive performance experience where the audience themselves are the ones who metamorphize through and alongside three different species of butterflies. So they literally go from being in an egg to being the hungry caterpillar to going into that chrysalis that you saw, that that hammock, and then emerging as a butterfly. We are going to do this today. Yes, you are going to do this. You are dressed in green because you are a plant. I am your host plant. And (laughs) as your host, I'm the one guiding you through the journey. But I literally also am a sweet pea variety plant. I am the plant upon which your mother would have laid you as an egg. Well, this is Professor Beth Osnes. Her new project, indeed, is called The Butterfly Affect. More on that in a bit. And Osnes is fascinating. She is a blend of theater and a blend of environmental studies. She teaches both of those things at CU Boulder. And this idea of the butterfly affect is actually to counter the gloom and doom of climate change to some extent. Do I have that right? Yep, you do. Why did you create it before I step into the role of a butterfly? I created this because I think the days of kind of one-way communication where the audience is passive for climate communication might be over. 
I think that that we, kind of finger wagging. Yeah, I we, hate to say it, professorial. Yes, from our leading climate scientist Catherine Aho in her book Saving Us, she says what we need now is to lead with feelings, not facts. Hmm. Facts at a certain point don't seem to change people's hearts, do they? No. More information doesn't seem to work. Yeah, it's this idea of this information deficit model that if we just gave people the information, of course they'd make all the changes that they need to and (laughs) act accordingly. Beth, in previous appearances on CPR, you've told us about your comedy climate Mm -hmm. work, the -hmm. notion that laughter could be a way to people's hearts and minds. And, and here you are, you know, looking a bit comical <laughs> as a plant. I suppose the comedy continues. Oh, but wait until you're in the costume. <laughs> so what am I going to dress up as? Any particular butterfly? Well, you chose the blue morpho. I did. You could have chosen the western tiger swallowtail or the monarch. I love the color blue. What yeah. can I say? Is the blue morpho native to Colorado? It's not. It's from Central America. But it just gives a nice color accent to our other two who are native to Colorado. And this is an experience you want others to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't want this to be a rarefied experience for Ryan. You want others to go through the metamorphosis. Yes. I invite you to come and have a seat on your host leaf. My host leaf. It is of the sweet pea variety. This feels like those area rugs in kindergarten where you were told to sit and cross your legs. And what have you handed me here? I have handed you a diagram showing the different stages of your metamorphosis as a blue morpho. Egg, caterpillar, chrysalis, adult emerges, and then what we all recognize as a butterfly, the adult. I'll share you a little bit of what you're going to undergo. You're going to start with your mother laying you as an egg on this plant. She's going to put a little bit of glue there to hold you in place Mm. and to keep you from drying out. Glue that she produces. Yes, she does. And then inside the egg, you are a teeny little larva about the size of a piece of rice. (gasps) But within you, you have imaginal discs. Imaginal discs. Yes, this is like gift wrapped for an artist. You have imaginal discs. And these are these disc-shaped bags of cells that hold within them the design of each part of you as a butterfly that will emerge. And they are going to survive every stage of your development, Hmm. and they will come into play at the end. They're like my knapsack on this journey. Yes, they definitely are. Okay. And they will guide what emerges from you, your antenna, your thorax, your wings, your legs. So once you are ready to become a caterpillar, Mm -hmm. you're going to chew a hole in the outside shell of your egg just big enough for your head to wriggle out of. Okay. And then you're going to eat the entire eggshell for all the nutrients that it have for growth. And then you're going to eat your host leaf because you are now a ravenously hungry caterpillar. And my mom knew this. Yes, yes, when, she knew When this. she glued me to this food source. <laughs> yes, she yeah. knew this. You know, it, you would eat this. It does make me think that nature is so elegantly mm-hmm. and thoughtfully designed. Yes. The notion that all of this would become food yes. so that the process could continue. So then you're going to go through five developmental stages as a caterpillar. And these are called instars. Inst- I love in-stars. the vocabulary. I know. It's, it, it really is, is poetic. It is very poetic. 
with each of these instars, you're starting so tiny and you're eating, 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 growth, growth, growth. So you're going to have to split open your skin and shed that skin to be able to emerge as an expansive version of yourself. Oh, that sounds like me after Thanksgiving. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you're going to do this five times. Your fifth time is actually you becoming a chrysalis. So that final instar is you finding a place to hang on with your hind legs, maybe a leaf or a twig, and you'll hang immobile, and this casing will come around you that is your chrysalis. And inside, much of you is going to dissolve and be digested by these enzymes released by hormones. Everything will, except for the imaginal discs, which survive digestion. And they're going to like use this soup that is you to do this rapid cell division to create these things, your wings, your head, your thorax, your legs, all these parts will then form so quickly within the chrysalis. And then when you're ready to emerge and you have metamorphized and it is complete, you will wriggle, which will split open your chrysalis. And then you're going to emerge the beautiful blue morpho. Butterfly. You know, it's funny, my actual mother, not my imagined (laughs) butterfly (laughs) mother, mother. she said recently, I was going through a hard chapter, and she said, Ryan, you've got everything you need. Mm. And it occurs to me as you describe the process of an egg becoming a caterpillar, becoming a chrysalis, becoming an adult, that I have everything I need with me. Yes. Uh-huh. A, more, a butterfly is made of the exact same things that that egg and that weird looking, I mean, the blue morpho caterpillar, it, Google it. It is one of the strangest looking caterpillars out there. <laughs> it is yellow with spikes and this mauve furry brown stuff around the head. It's the weirdest looking thing ever, but it's all the aspects of you. And we're capable of incredible change. And in order for us to address the challenges that we need to, in order to retell this story of climate. We need to do some incredible changes. And I think every, a lot of people feel afraid of change. Uh And this whole performance is like saying, hey, change can be amazing. It might be another dimension. Like we might burst through into this other way of being that is lighter, that's more beautiful, that's capable of flight. And the other thing about a butterfly, I'll tell you this later, but as a butterfly, All you have to do is drink sweet nectar Mm. and love. All right. And by that, I actually mean make love. Like, that's what you're being asked to do as a butterfly. That doesn't sound so bad. No, it sounds uh, positively like a bacchanal, actually. (laughs) But, you know, I think so much of the climate change discussion is around what we are giving up. Right? It's a lack. It's a deficit. Why is it called the butterfly affect? I keep thinking it should be the effect. Well, there is the phenomenon of the butterfly effect, effect. Yeah. And that is this idea that a butterfly's flapping of its wings on one side of the world could cause a wind that would culminate into a tornado on the other side of the world. Yes. And that tells us that small changes can result in a large impact, which is a fabulous message for climate action. But there's also this idea that affect is the, what are we doing to affect? What are we doing? What are the actions we're Mm. taking? And what are the feelings? Affect also has to do with the emotions, the affective realm of like, what are we feeling? Like, how does it feel to be part of the climate solution? And the setting for the affect is so on point. And that is the butterfly pavilion Mm -hmm. along Highway 36. 
it's exciting to be offering it there because people have the opportunity to go through the experience and then go into the um, botanic garden space to be in company with the butterflies. The actual. Yes, and as I was creating and designing and working on this performance, I went there often to do research and to be reminded of the quality of flight that butterflies have mm -hmm. and the, you know, they show the, the, the developmental stages in the space as well. You get to see chrysalises, you get to see butterflies that have emerged that didn't make it. You get to see the ones along the bottom of the thing that, you know, you get to see the full life cycle by going to the Butterfly Pavilion and it's a treasure in our community. The Butterfly Affect, an interactive metamorphosis, takes place Saturday at the Butterfly Pavilion in Westminster. It's the creation of Beth Osnes, theater and environmental studies professor at CU. When we come back, I don a costume, several of them actually, and experience this life cycle for myself. Plus, how this project helped Osnes cope with grief. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. So much news, it's impossible to take it all in. But The Lookout brings focus to what's essential to every informed Coloradan. Every weekday, it's a free digest of news from all over the state. Sign up at CPR.org lookout. Climate education has to be as much about the heart as the head, says Beth Osnes. She's a professor of environmental studies and theater at CU Boulder. Her latest project is called The Butterfly Effect. It's interactive and lets you experience the metamorphosis from egg to caterpillar to, in my case, blue morpho butterfly. You can experience this for yourself Saturday at the Butterfly Pavilion in Westminster. For now, let's return to our conference room here at CPR News, where Osnes has unpacked costumes, a hammock, and a leaf-shaped area rug she has me sit on. There's a soundtrack, too. And I, is, are you okay with me putting this over your head? What is this? This is your eggshell. Okay. And the blue morpho has this. It's like a body condom. <laughs> oh, okay, the world is disappearing, Beth. I know, I know. Trust. It is a bit like a trust fall. It's like having a personal tent. Yes, you're within. I'm just swallowed by it, sitting cross-legged on the floor of our conference room. So as you are ready to emerge as a caterpillar, I want you to feel the struggle of working your way out of this eggshell. Oh. I'll help you some. You but slipped you it on, I'm going to slip it off. And imagine you're biting a hole through it. Uh-huh. Shedding through it. Because this you is my food coming, source. Uh, yes, uh. you are coming out a tiny little caterpillar. <sighs> It, I want to ask you to arise. It feels spacious. <laughs> I feel free. And here's my host plant. I'm going to eat this, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, don't yeah. deprive me of my food source. <laughs> oh, this is my caterpillar this stage. Is this is you. Okay. Are you ready to me putting this over your head? I'm ready. I feel like a caped crusader in this. <laughs> okay, now, it's just good for the listeners to know how outrageous this caterpillar is. That you yes, it's almost as I like faux fur you have my face. I know, and then you have these weird white tentacles coming out. Yeah. Yeah. You look amazing. Oh, thank you. As a caterpillar, you are ravenously hungry. I know that feeling. You're gonna, you do know that feeling. Yes. Crawl out of that old restrictive skin 
into an expanded version of yourself. Oh, again, spaciousness. Yes, but still very, very hungry. Okay. Very hungry. And pretty tiny. Tiny. But getting getting bigger. bigger, Getting bigger. Okay. And your final instar is for you to become a chrysalis. This is why you've brought the hammock. Yes. That is why I have six Uh portable hammock stands. When we walked in, it looked to me, yes, like a chrysalis. Okay. And... Before you go in, I'm gonna have to put this over you, but don't look at it. Okay, I'm not looking. For you to be able to emerge. But this is my butterfly costume, yes, which will I only know. be revealed after my time in the chrysalis. May I go over your head? Yes. Wait. You know, growing into a butterfly, it's a rather cozy experience. <laughs> it is. It's very nurturing. I'm swaddled, I'm cuddled all the time. I so I want you to sit carefully. Just sit in oh, the center. you all know how tricky it can be to get elegantly into a hammock. I know. Try so doing it in a butterfly costume. With your, with your bag and center, and now swing your head to one side, and legs, my legs to the, to other, the other, side. other. All right. And great. And we are going to have you put your head back <sighs> and relax. Can I take a nap on the radio? Oh yeah. Okay. Legs together, if you don't mind. Great, and I'm, are you okay with me completely yes. encasing you Encase in your me. chrysalis? In tomb. Hmm. And now, within your chrysalis, I invite you to calm your mind. Let yourself dissolve into this final stage of your metamorphosis. Allow what is yearning to emerge from you to take form slowly without effort, trusting your design within that yearns to emerge. Give way to what yearns to emerge. Allow all else to dissolve. Beth, I know that I'll emerge as a beautiful blue morpho Mm -hmm. in my favorite color, but I'm I'm awfully comfortable right now, kind of in the womb. And the world outside is challenging. I know. It's an election year. I know. People aren't going to be very nice to each other. I don't really want to come out. I know. This has happened with other people that have gone through this performance. There's a seduction to the chrysalis, but I'm going to try to persuade you that it's worth it to come out, that it matters, and that you have so much brilliance to share. It won't be my first coming out. (laughs) All right, it's time. Okay, are you really feeling like, if you're feeling like your metamorphosis is complete, then you're going to wriggle, wriggle, wriggle. It's going to split open your chrysalis. You're going (laughs) to carefully have your legs swing over. And then you're gonna put your legs beneath. Yes. And you are slowly going to emerge as a butterfly. A blue morpho. And in the beginning, your wings are gonna be crumpled and wet. Just let them hang down. Like wet crepe paper. Oh, they're wet. That's to be expected. You've been in a pupa for so long. Yes. And butterfly wings only go back into the sides. They don't go forwards. Butterfly wings only go back and to the sides, not forward. And I'm going to have you imagine that blood is throwing, flowing through the hollow veins of your wings. Ah. Ah, they're starting to dry. Oh, this straighten. is a silly question. Butterflies have blood? Yeah. Blutterflies, okay. Yeah, they're animals. All right. And it's going to go through and harden. The sun is going to be beating down on you. It's going to allow your internal temperature to rise. Your muscles are getting stronger, ready for flight. Oh! <laughs> oh, the suit, the suit moves. 
keep your hands to your hips. In such a way, I feel here. like Madam Butterfly, to and be honest. just let it go out and back, out and back. Beautiful. Oh, I see. And Beautiful. I am now flapping my butterfly wings. Beautiful. And there's an intuitive quality to this. This really delighted me as a person who does puppets and costumes. The fact that you're not like... You'd think you'd use your arms to make your wings, no, but you're not. I'm moving my palms you with these, these rods yes. that are holding the tips of the wings up and back. It's actually a conservation of energy. Yes. What do you think my butterfly name should be? Mm. Phil. Blue Magnificence. Oh, okay. It, it's a fun experience. Is it all a little too precious <laughs> in the face of something as serious as climate change? You know, transformations and change is really hard. And if we look to the champions of change who go through rugged, tough change, yeah. it's butterflies. And the reason I'm choking up is because I was widowed two years ago and I had to go through a complete rechanging of myself. And it's not an accident that I'm doing this performance after that mm -hmm. because we can learn from the natural world that change doesn't have to be scary. It can be beautiful, even with loss. It might even be fun. Mm -hmm. It might even be play. It might even be enjoyable. That's right. I'm really sorry about your loss. Thank you. Thank you for sharing it. I didn't actually ever make that connection before. <laughs> that is Professor Beth Osnes, who blends theater and environmental science at CU Boulder, guiding me through the butterfly effect in our conference room. You too can undergo the metamorphosis Saturday at the Butterfly Pavilion in Westminster. Well, time for us to flit away. I'm Ryan Warner. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. Butterfly all alone But can you fly on your own? Take your place in the world today Butterfly, fly home